Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Jess Cording. She's the author of the new book, The Little Book of Game Changers, 50 Healthy Habits for Managing Stress and Anxiety. So you guessed it, we're talking exactly about those things, managing stress and anxiety. And we're going to talk about why you should make time to worry. I know, right? Sounds completely counterintuitive. We're going to talk about caffeine, and we're going to talk a little bit about how to have a plan for when you are lonely. And nobody seems to be talking about that. So I thought, this is a really unique conversation to have, and I was really glad to do that with Jess. So I'm just going to get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Jess Cording. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Jess Cording. Welcome to the show, Jess. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, So health is probably one of the most important topics. (laughs) And people don't often think of health as something that is involved with productivity. And obviously, since the show is called Beyond the To-Do List, we try to tackle productivity outside of the normal just, oh, time management or which planner are you using? And the other normal questions, you know, you'd get on an average productivity podcast. We try to go beyond that. How do you see health tying into productivity? Oh, it's all it's all connected. You know, when we feel well, we're able to work better. I'm actually really excited that more uh, more employers, more companies are embracing that and that, you know, there's more support for freelancers who need to, you know, have the resources to to take care of themselves so they can be more productive. I mean, I saw this so much in my work in corporate wellness, and I see it with my clients now all the time as well, that when you're not fueling yourself properly with the, you know, foods that provide the nutrients that you need and in a balance that keeps you energized and satisfied. And, you know, if you're not moving your body in a way that helps you feel um, like you're helping with your stress levels and you're, you know, improving like blood flow. You know, those are all things that are going to have an effect on how productive you're able to be at work and how well you'll be able to focus. And, you know, not to mention the fact that if, you know, you're not in good physical health, you know, if, if your immune systems are not in good working order, I mean, if you are taking a lot of sick days because you're sick and can't work, that's also going to affect your productivity. That is one of the things that, you know, I've tried to for the for the bulk of time in the last you know few years really found is the thing that like knocks me out the most is like when i'm sick because i've not had any kind of you know routine that is trying to get i mean we all get sick even if we're you know super on top of things but it's it's how quickly you bounce back from it right yep yeah well i um i had a wake up call when i was i guess i don't know 28 29 where you know i was juggling seven different income streams and you know i was working at the hospital i was working in corporate wellness i was writing i was seeing private clients i was doing all these different things and um 
then I got I got hit with laryngitis really bad. Uh, and I could barely talk for like, it was about four weeks. But you know, after the first week, I you know, because I had all these different jobs that I was piecemealing together, you know, I didn't have sick days. So it was the kind of thing if I didn't work, I didn't get paid. And that was a really big, big wake up call to me that was like, all right, we need to take a step back, figure out what's working, what's not working, because clearly something is not working. And um, but I remember like I was working in an ALS clinic at the time. And I remember like trying to communicate with my patients when I had just this raspy voice and I was just writing things down and we were trying to communicate. And it was it was challenging, but a good learning experience. Also, one of the cool things that uh, for this time of year, for you to be coming out with this new book, the little book of Game Changers, 50 Healthy Habits for Managing Stress and Anxiety, I couldn't help but think, man, coming out, you know, everybody comes out with their new book in January because everybody wants to change their whole life in January. But I like that you and I are recording this in February where we're past that bubble of maybe unrealistic expectations and goal setting. And now we're into the the more real time of year. Yeah, that is you hit the nail on the head. Like February is when it gets real. You know, everybody has sort of come down off that new year, new you high, and they have this chance to either throw it all away or to take a peek at, okay, what's going well? And what do I need to start over with or, you know, reassess their goals and get a sense of how they should proceed going forward. And I, I've, what I see happen a lot in my work is people set really crazy ambitious goals at the beginning of the year. And I've been guilty of this too, but I, there is so much power in small changes and in taking small steps that you can build on. And that's uh, one thing that I really, you know, I, I'm glad that we're talking about this in February because this is a time of year when Especially if you're feeling a little bit, um, you know, down on yourself because maybe that lofty goal, you already feel off track with it. This is a great time to identify one or two small changes you can take and start to move forward. Well, and and I even got to ask, like, how would you suggest, you know, if somebody's thinking in 2020, I want to change from how I was health wise in 2019. But I I almost feel like, you know, again, with the new year, new you bubble that happens in, you know, January, I think maybe that's a time where you say, okay, let me try out how doing this new, I don't know, routine of, uh, you know, going to the gym or, uh, what I do at the gym, changing that up or, you know, insert here, the change playing around with like actually trying it and experiencing, okay, what were the boundaries that I came up against as I tried to do that so that then you can make a plan to how to overcome those uh, and not feel like uh, it's a New Year's resolution where you started it in January and because you came up against resistance and then you were like, well, this is too hard. I quit. Instead, treat it as kind of a, an experiment uh, phase so that you can actually come out the other end and tweak it and then do it. I'm a big fan of using the word experiment. I feel like it takes the pressure off. And it also invites you to be curious, whereas I've seen when we set um, these these goals and we set lots and rules, uh, lots of rules around these goals to help us, you know, make progress towards them. Some for some people that can set them up to be in a more self-critical mindset, whereas we're if we're experimenting with something like, you know, we can be more curious about what works and what doesn't work. You know, for so for somebody who wants to, you know, eat a more plant-based diet, that doesn't mean that you have to do um like a green juice cleanse for an entire month. Right. 
You know, you can start by just, you know, maybe adding some extra vegetables to your plate and doing slightly smaller portions of meat if you want or incorporating, you know, one more vegetarian meal per week. It does not have to be, you know, all or nothing. You can take tiny little steps and assess along the way. Yeah, well, and and I think this fits right in with how, you know, you call yourself the no drama dietitian. It's a lot of people cause that drama by thinking they have to do an all or nothing change. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes new clients, they're so shocked when I'm like, no, if, if chocolate's a non-negotiable, you, you can eat chocolate. We can make this work. Wow. See, that's unheard of to me in terms of, you know, somebody talking about health. Yeah, well, that's that's what's really interesting. You know, when we are able to really tune into what helps us feel like we're thriving and what our priorities are, that really helps us find a unique balance that works for our needs on our terms, you know, and I think for, for some people that's going to be different than others. You know, we all have those things that are hard to be moderate with. We all have those things that we can take them or leave them. A lot of what I see people struggle with is trying to follow a plan that's, you know, arbitrary or it's not designed with them in mind. You know, we, we go on social media and we see, you know, this celebrity did this diet and got these results, but you know, you're, we're all different. We all have different needs, different types of foods that make us feel great, different types of types of exercise that make us feel great. And we're also dealing with different things in our personal and professional lives that we have to take into account and make plans for. Yeah, I love the the individualized, you know, approach that there is no one size fits all or no, you know, single silver bullet that's going to work for everybody, but you know, trying out these different things uh works great. It's why I really like that your book, it's a little book, but 50 healthy habits is like a lot of different healthy habits. Well, you know, it, you could look at it this way. You know, you could even just implement one tiny thing, you know, not even one every week. And over the course of the year, you'd have implemented 50 different healthy habits. Not that all of the habits in the book are necessarily the perfect fit for every single person, sure. but you know, you could take an approach like that. I also like that you've you've broken up the book into three categories, I guess is the best way to put it, where you've got some of them that are under mind, some that are under body, and some that are under spirit. And 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 again, as I was going through the book and even trying to figure out, pick some ones that, that seem interesting to you. But then I said, no, you know what? I'm going to go for the shocking ones, the ones that I don't think anybody's either thinking about or think are maybe contradictory. Uh, in, in some way. So I'd love to throw one out from each of these categories to you so we can talk about each one of those. Awesome. So the first one is in, is under the mind category and it's called set aside daily worry time. And I'm like, wait a second. So we're supposed to set aside, you know, the, the title of that, that section. It's like, wait, so are you saying we're supposed to set aside a time every day to actually worry? Cause I thought we weren't supposed to worry. Right. I, I mean, I grew up, you know, uh, under the, the mode of like, you should make everything look easy and just don't worry. Just like, just move on. Just keep, keep going. Like I, as a, you know, and I do talk about my mother, um, in the book and growing up in an environment where, um, my mother is one of the most wonderful people in the world, but I had some really non-traditional influences in terms of like, um, so she, she's a psychotherapist, but she started doing hypnotherapy. So I grew up exposed to all different kinds of mind body practices and meditation and, 
a lot of what's in the book, you know, is things that have been on my radar since I was, you know, I grew up around that stuff. But um, she, it used to drive me crazy as a teenager when she would say, just let it go. And right. you know, we don't have to let everything go. You know, I think that we can learn a lot from what our worries might be telling us. Um, and I do explain that in the book, there's a difference between, um, you know, it's normal to have concerns. That's completely valid. Um, but when worrying becomes intrusive and disrupts our daily functioning, um, that can, that can be really hard to deal with. And I've, you know, I'm wired. I'm a, I'm just wired to be an anxious person. It's just, you know, um, I think why I'm so interested in all the research around this stuff. Cause you know, it came from a need to, to manage my own stress and anxiety as, um, you know, over the years and being able to help other people with that. But with the worry time, you know, because it does have that power to be so disruptive, you know, it doesn't mean that we have to turn off worry. Because again, like worry can alert us to things that might need to be in our radar and make sure that we take care of. Like, for example, you know, if you have a family history of certain types of cancer that there are known lifestyle factors for, you know, rather than just denying it, you know, what you and what you could do is, you know, it's normal to worry like, okay, well, I don't want to get that form of cancer. And here's a couple things that I can do in my day to day life to help help with that. But I'm getting a little bit off track. But what I with the reason that setting aside time to worry can be so effective and it does take practice. But, you know, when you feel that worry come up in your mind, rather than feeling like you have to unpack that whole thought right there and come up with a solution and, you know, let it derail you, whatever you're trying to do in the moment, knowing that, you know, you can take some time later in the day, whether you want to like write yourself a little note to come back to that thing, like a physical note or just mentally note it, um, knowing that you have that space in your day to just let your mind go crazy with the worries and get it. You know, I like to write down the things that are worrying me because that helps them get out of my head. Um, it can be really helpful in freeing up brain power during the rest of your day. Really, it's employing one of those uh, deferring uh, type skills that we talk about in, in productivity all the time, which is, you know, I don't have time for this right now because it's not on the schedule, but I have time for it later. So, oh, oh, okay, well, then if you have time for it later, I won't bug you about it now, uh, your mind then says. <laughs> exactly. It takes a while. To, it takes practice. You know, yeah. like it's not like overnight you're going to master this, but it can be so, so powerful. Just again, just quiet in those thoughts and, you know, you can deal with them later. Yeah, it's it's having that time block already set in place to basically check in on yourself and say, okay, now what was it that I was worrying about uh, earlier today that I wrote down and said, uh, Ooh, I'll, I'll talk to myself about that or, you know, self assess on that uh, when the time is right later today, or if it's, or, or my next worry time is tomorrow, then tomorrow. Exactly. So uh, it's, it's, it's really cool how, you know, again, uh, making a time for, you know, setting aside a daily worry time seems like it's like, wait, why would I do that? But then once you start to dig into it, uh, it's like, oh, this is genius. This is something, you know, that we could all stand to use for a little bit more self-awareness and uh, freeing up our mental energy. Yeah, it's real. That freedom is is gold. Like that's really what a lot of the stuff that I focus on in my writing and with my clients. It's really about helping people feel a sense of freedom and ease. 
Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's move on to body. And with this one, I kind of went for the one that I think everybody deals with, which is finding your sweet spot with caffeine. Uh, everybody, you know, it, they either love coffee or they've got their other drug of choice for for receiving their caffeine intake if they use it at all. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, caffeine is it's it's fascinating because it's, you know, a lot of us. It functions not just as a source of, you know, that um, that pick me up, that physical caffeine boost. Um, it's also in many ways it can be a social connector. You know, we're it's it's almost like um, how a cigarette break used to be like mm-hmm. the way to to get a break, and now like the coffee break is um, a way that's like a socially acceptable way to be like, oh, like I'm just gonna go get a coffee, take a coffee break, or you know, you meet people for coffee. Um, and it's interesting in our in our food culture right now, coffee, you know, it, it there's a lot of um, confusion around it. And there are some camps that say coffee is 
terrible, like all of it, like it's going to jack your cortisol and mess with your energy and your mood. And then there's people who are like, no, coffee is a superfood. And, you know, I think that the exact answer of how coffee, like what space it occupies in your life really depends on the individual. You know, there are some people that, um, can physically handle a lot more caffeine than others. Um, there are, there are some people that even a tiny bit is going to mess with their sleep and make them really anxious. Um, and I do talk a little bit about this in the, in the book where, you know, there's a, there's obviously several different types of caffeine, you know, coffee and tea and soda are some of the main ones. Um, chocolate is a teeny, teeny, tiny bit of caffeine in there. And of course, then you have all your different energy drinks and more and more we're seeing, um, you know, energy or like natural health drinks with things like plant derived caffeine and I always think it's funny when they say plant-derived caffeine because where else would they be getting it from? But <laughs> right, Ca- coffee um, beans are still grown on plants. So yeah, <laughs> so I, I don't know. There's you know there are certain products where they'll be marketed as like a, a healthy natural energy boost, and then you see like in fine print includes 85 milligrams of plant-based caffeine, and that can be fine. You know, I think that um, so current recommendations around caffeine. Um, for healthy adult, most healthy adults, quote unquote, you know, it's used as the kind of benchmark, um, is recommended about capping it at about 400 milligrams per day. So that's equivalent to about four cups of, you know, drip coffee. Mm-hmm. But that said, a lot of, uh, coffee companies do brew a stronger cup now. So if you go to Starbucks, you're looking at like, I think it's like an 180 milligrams in a yeah. grande drip yeah. coffee. But, you know, espresso, that's about 75 milligrams per shot of espresso. Um, just as a heads up to like for pregnant women, the recommendation is about 200 milligrams max per day. I, you know, and in the book, I share my experience of, um, when I was in my late twenties and like around age 30, I, at that time I was drinking like eight cups of coffee a day, which is not good for anybody. Um, even if you don't have any pre-existing medical conditions or health concerns, it's just too much coffee. And I was dealing with heart palpitations and sleep disruption. Of course, I was in denial. I was like, oh, it's stressed. Work stress. I'm stressed. And I go to the doctor and she says, how much coffee are you drinking? And it was like busted. And you know, there it's, but I will say this coffee, we get addicted to it, you know, or caffeine in general. Yeah. It's, um, a physical and also a, an emotional or behavioral addiction. And, you know, your sweet spot is going to be different from, you know, your best friend's sweet spot with caffeine. But I remember for myself, the goal was to get to that 400 milligrams. That was like my starting goal, even though my longer term goal was to get it closer to 200 or 100 milligrams a day. So, you know, I, you can do a cold turkey approach when dialing down the caffeine, but you know, if, if another approach that I offer in the book is to, you know, start with small, small swaps, like switching your order from a med- from a large to a medium or from a medium to a small or starting with, you know, half decaf swapping out, you know, if you normally would have another cup of coffee in the afternoon, see how it feels to swap it out for an herbal tea because, you know, and I, I think I mentioned earlier about how we treat coffee as a social connector. You know, explore um, the, you know, where that coffee or that caffeine source, where that 
fits in your life? Like, why is it about the caffeine or is it more just you've become addicted to the caffeine because you've conditioned yourself to take that coffee break? You can still take that break. Just swap out something that's not going to contribute more caffeine than you need. Um, and you also want to make sure that because when you're dealing with caffeine withdrawal, you're going to feel symptoms. Like, I'm not going to lie. It is not always the most fun. You are going to you might experience headaches, you might experience some irritability, some feeling foggy and tired, but it does go away. It does get better. It's uh, And sometimes knowing that that's temporary can be a really great comfort. But I have seen that people sometimes struggle with, like, you know, aside from the low energy and feeling cranky, you know, I've also seen people struggle with um, food cravings, usually for sugar or very high energy foods. So planning ahead for that and making sure that your meals are providing a good balance of protein, fat and fiber to keep you full. That's going to make a really big difference. Also, uh, staying hydrated. That's also going to help you feel more alert, energized. And for the food that you're eating, it's also going to help, um, you know, f- fiber that you're eating. It's going to help it help it to uh, do its job and keeping you full. Um, I, I don't need if you don't want to talk about biochemistry, I won't, <laughs> I won't get into the, the nitty gritty gross stuff of like how that works. But um, making sure that your diet's on point and helping you feel energized and that you're hydrating um, adequately. Those are two things that'll help. And exercise can also really help if you're dealing with that irritability and that low energy. And this other one is, I know it's not always realistic for for us all the time, depending on what your work schedule is like. But if you, if you, however, whatever version of it works for you, planning around your natural energy ebbs and flows. And when, you know, if you are going to be continuing to have some caffeine, maybe being strategic about what times of day you're having it, or if you do have the capability of planning out which projects or which activities you're going to be doing at different points in your day, you know, keeping in mind when you might be, um, when you might have the most or the least energy during that time. I love that. And, And again, one of the other things that I've found is, and it's it's so individualistic because I know there's people who have almost zero tolerance for for caffeine at all. Uh, I have a pretty low tolerance, so it doesn't. You know, I can't I can't have more than say two cups in the day, or I start to feel like again the heart palpitations or you know headaches from having too much coffee. Caffeine is tied so much to productivity. We think, oh, well, if I want to be productive, I got to wake up, I got to have energy. That's where I. So I'm going to go to coffee. That's my thing. But you know, like you were saying, questioning the the cue and reward uh, and the routines even around why we are drinking that coffee and when we're drinking it and uh, replacing it. I've done the the whole I've done the the cold turkey. It's not fun. If I was going to do that again, which, in fact, I know that I've been you know having more recently than I probably should uh, caffeine wise. But uh and I've been wondering why I've been stressed. So I think there's a cue there for sure. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But I think that uh, I would definitely go with more of a tapering down uh, instead of a an altogether just cutting it out. And and again, I love that you're you're adding in uh, the fiber, the fat, the protein and other things that give you energy to kind of counteract what's going to feel like a um you know, a, a drag or a, a drop in my energy levels from cutting out that uh, substance, caffeine. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the 
in my own life and with my clients, I've just found that the cold turkey for a lot of people is just a lot of people are likely to, to give up or lose faith in themselves. Yeah. And white knuckling it, I'm just not a fan of the white knuckle approach. Like life is hard enough. If there are ways <laughs> that we can make it more easeful, like let's go for it. Yeah, there's another no drama right there. <laughs> yeah, um, the, yeah, because I mean, in my experience, the cold turkey with getting off caffeine is like, well, welcome to one week of migraines. Almost, depending yes. upon how you do it. So, been there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that is uh, what I wanted to touch on. And again, it's a product. It's almost a productivity topic in and of itself with caffeine. Um, I wanted to then move from body over to spirit, and this is one again. We don't talk a lot when it comes to productivity in and of itself, but it's very tied into productivity. It's having a loneliness game plan. And I bring that up because I work from home and my only person here, I know you've got cats. I've got a dog. I think he's in the room. I can't tell his bed's over around the corner. He comes in and lays down when I'm busy, (laughs) but he may have left the room. But anyway, that helps with loneliness. But uh, for a lot of us, even if we're in a crowd or even if we're working at coffee shops, like we've got loneliness uh, happening. And, you know, again, we don't really, it's one of those things where, it kind of sneaks up on you in, in my experience. Yeah. You don't know that it's happening. It starts to happen. And you wonder, why do I feel so off today? It's, oh, it's because I haven't had personal interaction with any human. It's, it's kind of like the, when, um, someone who's a parent and is home mm-hmm. taking care of a child all day. And then suddenly it was like, oh, you're here. I can have adult conversation now, you know, <laughs> that. Exactly. And loneliness is one of it's a major public health issue. And it's interesting to me because we're so aware of this as a culture, but I don't feel like we've figured out what to do about it yet. Um, You know, and I, I you often see advertisements for like, like dating apps and networking groups. And, you know, I think that we're starting to see more emphasis on finding ways to help people connect um, offline as well. But, you know, it's still and I think there's also this idea that only only single people get lonely or, you know, only people who live and work alone get lonely. But like you said, like we can be in a crowd and feel lonely like we can, you know, I know even in my own life, you know, my partner can be like two feet away from me. But if I'm connected to a feeling that makes me feel lonely or is making me very aware of a a loss or a lack, you know, that can still happen. And you know, I think that uh, one thing I've seen in my work so much is that, you know, loneliness is one of those feelings that we feel so much dis-ease around it and we're not very well conditioned to deal with it. And so what, what hap- happens very often is that we slip into unhealthy coping mechanisms when we feel lonely because we haven't really learned how, mm-hmm. how to deal with feeling lonely in a healthy way. Um, and I write about this in the book where you know, in a few different places where, you know, we all have our different versions of those unhealthy coping mechanisms. It's not always about food. You know, I joke about in mine, like shopping has been a thing in the past. And, uh, you know, like the twelve ninety nine sports bras from Old Navy that I'm putting in my online shopping cart, like it's kind of the emotional equivalent to a, a bag of M&Ms from the vending machine, you know, and um, only difference is that's returnable, I guess. But with with loneliness, 
you know, I've seen it really derail a lot of people's efforts to stay on track towards a healthy living goal. So with it started as an experiment, you know, going back to the experiment phase. And, you know, in my own life, I, I, I had a summer where it was my first summer living away from home. And I was I had a job and an internship and I was taking night classes and I was interacting with a fair number of people on a day to day basis. But I was home, I was away from my, you know, what was familiar and I was I hadn't put down roots yet. And I felt really lonely. And I literally just wrote down a list one day of things that I could do when I was lonely. And I found it so helpful. And, you know, when I moved to New York a few years after that and, you know, going through different phases of of life where, you know, you're maybe relearning a new a new landscape, a new situation or just a new emotional landscape, even um, that technique I found very helpful. And I I started using it as an experiment with some clients who were really struggling with loneliness. And I, I remembered how useful that technique had been. I said, well, hey, let's give this a try. Why don't you just write down you know, three or four things that you enjoy doing that when you start to feel lonely, that maybe instead of eating all the snack food that's in your apartment, you know, what if you try doing one of these activities instead and see if that works? And it was so successful that I've made it a regular part of my practice. And there's no like rule about what you're supposed to do. Um, you know, I, I do share this in the book that I love uh, cleaning when I feel lonely. It's just for some reason, because um, I think for myself, one of the emotions that really uh, like rocks me to my core is not being able to solve a problem for someone or not being able to understand something. And so there's something very like soothing to my nervous system about cleaning and bringing order to like, you know, a drawer or whatever. But um but, you know, it doesn't mean that cleaning is going to be the right fit for everybody, you know, and I think that when you're making this list for your loneliness game plan of the things that you can do, make sure that they're things you actually enjoy doing that are actually going to feel restorative. So, you know, not things that you think like, oh, that sounds healthy. I should do that. Or that's that sounds productive. You know, I should do that because what happens is when we when we don't. um you know, when we don't address our loneliness, when we try to shove it under the rug and push through it, or if we do fall back and onto a, an unhealthy coping mechanism, that can really cause our productivity to take a hit because our mind is otherwise occupied and it's hard to focus on what we need to be focusing on. Yeah. And the, it's, it's a very, you know, almost elusive or, or lingering feeling that's hard to, to nail down. It, it made me think of, have you ever heard of HALT, H-A-L-T, which is an acronym for uh, hungry, angry, lonely, which ties in here, or tired? I love that. So this is one of them. I mean, loneliness is one of them. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like a self-awareness kind of go-to of, you know, are you, wait, I feel so down right now. Like, what's going on? I'm off. Oh, well, wait, am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? All those things that kind of, you know, oh, I forgot to eat lunch or man, I've been dwelling on how angry I am. This is the third one, lonely and obviously tired. And, you know, and honestly, um, hungry and tired and I guess angry and even uh, all three, all four of these really tie into all different parts of your book in different ways. So. Yeah. I mean, hopefully you're not going to feel all four of those things at once. <laughs> no, no. Um, but, you know, if you do, you know, start with the one that you can, you know, that feels most urgent to to address and start there. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and, and this is something that, you know, again, my friend, I have a friend who who's like, yeah, once in a while, I'm just I am off and I treat people like crap. And then I realize, oh, crap, 
I am uh, tired or I am hungry or I've been lonely. <laughs> and so then it, you know, he, he's able to, to course correct, but it's, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, again, this is, this is almost one of those things where uh, it ties back into folds back into, um, the setting aside the worried time. Like if you're checking in, uh, with yourself once a day to see what you're worrying about, this is where some of those symptoms, maybe not hungry, because you know you probably can't go twenty. You you shouldn't probably go twenty four hours without eating something. But <laughs> yeah. but the tired uh, or lonely, you know, a consistency of tiredness or loneliness or even angriness is going to probably rear its head in some thoughts or in feelings in that worry time, right? Absolutely, and you know, taking a moment to just be mindful of what is going well and showing yourself because we, we do tend to focus on the negative. And I think that sometimes when you are doing that check in, um, it's also a great time to, you know, your work, you know, note the stuff that you're worrying, but then take a sec to acknowledge what's going well. And, you know, maybe jot down a couple things that you feel good about. And sometimes in, infusing that little bit of positivity into the into the equation yeah. can help you reset your energy for the, for the day or help you, you know, as you're looking back on the day, maybe help you drift off to sleep a little more easily. Yeah. Well, and, and so to go back to specifically loneliness, we're all different. We're all, uh, even, even extroverts experience loneliness. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm an introvert, but I can pretend I'm not sometimes, but, uh, it, it all comes down to what uniquely you need to be doing in order to, Make sure you're taking care of yourself, not just with loneliness, but with all the aspects of health. And that's why I really love, uh, this book. And, and I, I mean, again, this is not a, you know, life hack type book. Uh, it's not, even though it's called, you know, the little book of game changers, 50 healthy habits for managing stress and anxiety. In no way is this some kind of shortcut thing. In fact, this is almost, uh, 50 experiments to try. Yeah. You know, and I, I do. You know, there is this also element like these are really simple, actionable tools, but you also have to want to do the work and to show up and be curious and explore and experiment. You know, no one can do that for you. But, you know, I, my hope is that people will find these tools really approachable and want to experiment with them. Yeah, for sure. So I, I was excited to see, again, that I picked out specific topics that I thought really uh tie in with productivity in and of itself or were surprising to like, wait, what do you mean? That's a thing, you know, and, and or or the opposite of a thing like, wait, I didn't know that we were supposed to set aside time, set aside time to worry, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, I, I really think this is a great book and I'd love for people to uh, go check it out. Is there any specific place you want to drive people to? You know, um, best place to find me, you know, my website is jessicacordingnutrition.com, but I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at Jess Cording. And I also on Facebook can be found at Jessica Cording Nutrition. So uh, please feel free to connect with me on there. Awesome. The book is available on Amazon. Awesome. And I'll link up to all those places uh, in the show notes for this episode. And Jess, just thank you so much. This has been a great time talking with you. And uh, I've gotten a lot out of the book and I know everybody else is going to also. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's another podcast. Cross off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jess Cording. I know I did. I was glad to pick out those kind of outlier kind of pieces from her book, but there's so much more in there. So make sure to go grab the book. You can find out more at jessicacording.com. 
nutrition.com or just go to the link in the show notes for this episode at beyond the to do list.com slash 311. And if you found this conversation helpful, I'd love for you to do me the favor of sharing it with somebody you know needs to hear it. Just hit the share button on whatever podcast player app of choice you're using right now. And thanks for sharing. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next episode.